you been the victim of rural crime? No, this isn't an advert for a compensation claim. A joint proposal from the CLA and the NFU aims to help. What we really want to see, because of the size of the county, and to give the rural areas more police coverage, is to have this dedicated team. And is anything being done to help restore seed potato exports to the EU? There are ongoing negotiations to try and get it sorted out but at the moment it's a it's a blanket no they're not allowing imports the week in agriculture this is the farming program with steve orchard hello hope you had a good week as the two ronnies used to say in a packed program this week there's dairy agronomy the markets the weather and a look back to last week's nfu conference which went online for the first time Exports of seed potatoes to the EU have completely stopped, losing a market, at least for the time being, of some 22,000 tonnes. To shed some light on this and to tell us if there are any positive prospects for the future, here's PJP Potatoes' Colin Jackson. Good morning. Let's start with the obvious question. Why have seed potato exports to the EU stopped? Morning, Steve. It is part of the Brexit transition. Unfortunately, it seemed to have been missed in the legislation. There are certain things that there's a bit of give and take to go. And at the moment, they haven't given us anything as far as that goes. There are ongoing negotiations to try and get it sorted out. But at the moment, it's a a blanket. No, they're not allowing imports. And what's the reason for the ban? Well, it is a legislation thing. Um, it's because legislation wasn't already there for it, and so we we haven't been given any kind of preferential treatment. So it was missed in the negotiations, I I presume. Is it that their standards are different to ours? Is it a, a technical thing or a political thing? Most people, particularly the Scottish seed potato, is thought of across the uh, the world really as a very very top quality seed potato. So there's certainly nothing as far as standards goes. Politically, yes, quite possibly. Uh, there's all sorts of games going on politically, isn't there? Um, so it may well be that we are unfortunately on the um, the sharp end of, uh, of a political game. The European market is not our biggest export market, but clearly that's going to have an effect on this year's crop, isn't it? It is, yes. People are obviously planning now. Uh, They're planting what they're going to grow for next year's uh, seed production. So uh, there are, you know, certain crops that go specifically into Europe. And so people won't be planting that. Um, But you're right. It's not our biggest export market. There's a few thousand tons a year that goes across there. But it's not like the bigger sort of North African markets and places like that that tend to see uh, big, big volumes. Is there a solution? And if so, what? There are ongoing negotiations going on over the next two or three months. So there is quite a lot of hope that things will get sorted out, particularly with the fact that we are allowing, you know, imports of uh, European seed. I think there's quite a bit of hope that it will get sorted out. Great stuff. Thanks for that, Colin. Thank you. Experts speaking at the recent Dairy Tech event were saying that the consumption of dairy products has boomed during the pandemic, with experts cautiously optimistic about the future of the UK dairy market. But is that positivity just in the supermarket, or does it filter down to the farm? Mark Barnes is a dairy farmer near Melton Mowbray, and when we spoke last year, Mark, we'd just gone from shortages of milk on the supermarket shelves to distressing scenes of vast quantities of milk being literally poured down the drain. Is the market booming now? No, no, I don't think it is. I think it's uh, very finely balanced. You know, I think that's where we are at the moment. And if we get a, a big spring flush of milk and the hospitalities don't open till, let's say, June, you know, we could easily be back where we were this time last year. I think things have, uh, I think they've restructured. 
I think the buyers and the retailers and the processors have restructured to get more into supermarkets because obviously supermarkets is the only place where it's been sold. I think there's been a lot of great work done. Whatever you know, we say about the supermarkets, they have done a great job. So have supermarket sales taken over enough from food service, for instance? They have, but as we all know, the profit margins are considerably less with the stuff that's gone through the supermarkets. That is the problem, I think, for processes as well as farmers. Are you producing and selling as much milk as you did before COVID? Uh, yes, we are. Probably a bit less. But as you say, the key question's got to be, what about your margins? Well, we're struggling at the moment because the feed costs have gone to the roof. Cow cakes are at least £30 a ton dearer than this time last year. Fertilisers have gone up 50% more than what it was this time last year. Brexit's had an impact on that. Obviously, some of it will be short-term, but it is impacting us at the moment. It is a bit of a perfect storm if we're not careful. So you, your costs have gone up, but have you been able to sell it for more? No. No, right. the milk prices are where they are this time last year, if not a bit less. So when we see reports of a booming market, it seems like it's the, it's booming from the grocer's point of view, not necessarily the producer's point of view. No, and the costs are booming as well. Arla have announced this week an increase in the milk price from March of half a euro cent. I guess every little helps. And this week has also seen the announcement following months of speculation of merger discussions between independent dairies Freshways and Medina. Plenty of agronomy to talk about this week with a change in the weather, eh, Sean? Good morning. Yes, a very good morning to you, Steve. A very, very different week of weather than the last seven days. I've ended up with 79 millimetres of rain through February. Not the wettest February I've had, but add that to the 93 mil I took in January, and that is 172 mil, and that is the wettest start I've taken in over 20 years at home. Um, and the weather's been all over the place. You know, we've gone from minus fives and sixes 10, 14 days ago to 19 degrees on Wednesday. But this week we've had no frost. We've had very few bits of rain, few specks of drizzle really, but the wind and the warm with the sunshine, that sunshine has made these crops green up while the chlorophyll starts to fluoresce and the soil temperatures are racing up as well, some as high as 8.4 degrees at 8 centimetres on Thursday lunchtime and that's the difference that a lack of frost and days like Wednesday with 19 degree air temperatures make. So crops are starting to think about moving now, fields are starting to dry but only on top because what's underneath and you don't have to go down too far that sloppy plasticine stuff might take a little bit longer to sort itself out but the job is definitely looking brighter than it did seven days ago and with a forecast of very little rain I think there's a lot to be looking forward to so all seed rate then time for its first nitrogen of course 80 to 100 kilos of nitrogen plus that sulfate um, the rate perking up noticeably by the day out there in the field there's still time to sort out things like mayweed thistles sow thistles groundsel and the like with products like clopyrrhus and remember that's safe to apply to the crop until the buds begin to rise clear of the leaves in which they're protected at the moment. There's also clopyrrolid and picloram products if you've got cleavers that you're after or other broadleaf weed issues um, uh, on a similar vein but you only go as late as the buds enclosed when you're using picloram and 
if you're going for cleavers, if that's the target with something like Clopic or Galera, they need to be actively growing. So these blue ones out there, they're not the right ones to be going. They need to be greening up. Soil temperatures need to be up above nine degrees just to make sure that those cleavers will take in that picloram and succumb as a result. Very important that you adhere to those cutoff timings when it comes to late products and flowering and bud formation in all seed rate. Um, there are other products out there, of course, like Corvetto, if you've got Cranesbill, but talk to your advisor about the right product for the job. And this year, the specific plant growth regulators in all seed rate, products like Carrix or something similar, they may be far more necessary than we've seen them in the last few years, particularly on those middle August sown crops, which are already up to your thighs. And you might just need a little bit more help than the standard Tebuconazole, Metconazole growth regulatory effect, because these crops are going to get quite leggy if we're not careful. So we're seeing some crop effects out there in all seed rape as well from Belcar applications last autumn where the plant looks a bit rhubarby or celery-like in appearance with the leaves seeming to be trapped in the stems but I'm assured by Corteva and my own experience shows that these plants probably throw out a lot more side branches as a result of that damage but you, you rarely see any yield impact at all where that damage occurs. So seems to be more of it about this year. That's probably due to the harder winter that we've just had. Winter wheat yellow rust pretty widespread out there even in varieties you wouldn't really expect to see it in varieties like graham with a score of eight for yellow rust but seedling and early season yellow rust doesn't always end up as a massive issue as the crop grows and matures if you want to be looking at something like tebuconazole or a strob in with your t0 fungicide followed by a robust t1 where you think there's an issue with yellow rust but i think it's still way too soon to be thinking about t0 fungicides although if the temperatures continue to rise like they are doing that'll happen sooner rather than later and remember respond to what you see in the fields respond to the conditions it's not a calendar date thing and also t0 is growth stage 30 historically and growth stage 30 i haven't found anything remotely close to that out there even in the most forward bits of wheat and growth stage 30 is when the top of the basal node to the tip of the developing ear in the lead tiller is a centimeter so for the time being just hold your nerve you're nowhere near being there yet look very carefully as well at the cutoff timings for herbicides like Liberator, DFF, Defy, Pendamethylene if you've still got outstanding recommendations in the shed from the autumn Liberator's got a cutoff at growth stage 23, Defy growth stage 21 Crystal's got 23 on the label but that had to be on before the 31st of December in the year of sowing so just make sure that you're safe and legal. The first nitrogen appears to be fairly imminent I think on winter wheat, winter barley um, as travelling conditions start to improve and soil temperatures lift so 70 odd kilos when that happens and if you're spraying for blackgrass if you've got contact sprays to go on things like pacifica um now's the time to do that while they're just starting to wake up if you think of course you can still do any good on blackgrass with uh, things like pacifica and remember that from tomorrow the 1st of march the higher rate of 0.5 kilos of pacifica can be applied um if you're after brome for example um still the calm before the storm though i think in the agronomy world and the farming world spring barley spring beans spring wheat all lined up ready to be drilled once the conditions allow but remember not to maul barley in it won't thank you for it and don't force beans into sopping wet plasticine slop you've plenty of time yet um, and the announcement tomorrow of course first of march that's when we're going to get the the go ahead or not 
two years near the cottonoid seed treatments on the sugar beet. And remember they used the same forecasting system that last year told us that we would get between 70 and 90% of crops going yellow. They were bang on last year. The same systems this year saying that single figures is far more likely. It's been an average of three and a half degrees colder this winter than it was last year with big temperature swings. Aphids just don't like those weather conditions. And that means that the aphid flight by winged misers persky, which is the problem in sugar beet, is very unlikely to happen much before the third week of May or so. So that's two months later than it was last year. And that was the issue last year. Sugar beet should by then have eight or 10 leaves. So the natural resistance, which will kick in at 10 to 12 leaves, should help us through that. And the threat, therefore, is markedly lower. We're back to 2019 levels. So March tomorrow then looks likely to come in like a lamb. Let's hope it doesn't go hurtling out like a lion. But if it does, there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. So let's see what the next seven days bring. Last week saw the first online NFU conference. As in the past, much discussed, many presentation, Q's and A's with politicians, but sadly lacking the live audience in the auditorium. It's not an easy way of working doing something like that, but I thought it went very well. Minette Batters and colleagues held it all together brilliantly. And the NFU president joins us now. Good morning, Minette. Uh, can we start with DEFRA Secretary George Eustace, who did his presentation and took plenty of questions, but didn't really give away an awful lot of the detail that we've been hoping for on Elms and the Agriculture Bill and so on? That's absolutely right. I mean, this this thirst for detail is is really, really growing with members. I think, you know, the winter for everybody, as always, has, has been long and it's been tough and it's been very wet and in places very cold and, and a lot of snow. And I think the uncertainty and the anxiousness is, is really starting to build now. So, you know, it's why I made the point to um, the Secretary of State that, you know, I mean, so many of the questions coming in that I was having to paraphrase and, and pull together, you know, it was all about where is the detail? What does it look like? We spoke to them again yesterday and they are now talking about next week more detail coming out, but this is this is absolutely essential that they get the detail out because we've been talking about this. You know, they've heard uh, the Secretary of State talking about it for a long time now, but in some ways there was sort of you know less detail. They've all heard what he said at the conference um, before, and I know there'll be a, a real interest in knowing what these announcements that sound like they'll be rolled out from now onwards through the summer. So we'll keep a, a very close eye on those things. One area that I'm particularly interested in, because I'm speaking about it separately in the programme, is dairy. And it's one area that has really struggled, hasn't it, over the, the last year. We, a year ago, we were shortages of, of uh, dairy products on the shelves. Then a few weeks later, we were literally pouring milk down the drain. Mm. Um but dairy farmers seem to be really, really concerned that, that there's reports of the market booming, but it only seems to be booming in the supermarket, not at the farm level. Well, this has been a story of two halves. And, you know, there are some sectors that are still feeling the pain of the out-of-home market falling off a cliff, effectively. And the point I've always made is, you know, we can't furlough our cows, we can't furlough our workforce. You know, these are living, breathing supply chains. I just hope that from April onwards, as out of home comes back online again, that we start to see that the real added value areas booming. You know, it's been very difficult for speciality cheese. We don't at home have, you know, fabulous um, cappuccinos and everything else. We tend to have a bit of Nescafe and a splash of milk. So it's had impacts um, on, on those that supply, huge impact on those that supply the out of home market. 
And as I say, people like the specialist cheesemakers who not only have lost their roots into hotels and restaurants uh, and other um, you know, opportunities here, but exports as well. And of course, it's a global problem. So it's it's been savage and everybody buying everything out of retail, which we know, you know, retail price for, we are living with it at the moment. Mm. I think everybody's got everything crossed that we maybe see some light at the end of the tunnel and perhaps by uh, by the time we get to harvest time, things are going to be back to some kind of normality, although I still don't think it's going to be normal, normal. Pubs reopen, restaurants reopen. I'm not convinced everybody's going to be hurtling back down to the pub or the restaurant to have their evening meal that would have been there a year ago. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, you've only got to look at how online shopping has absolutely boomed um, and wonder whether those people will ever actually go back into store again. So I, I think it is going to be, as people have been saying, a new normal. Um, but it, it does look like the green sheets are emerging on what that might look like. And having had a year of this way of working, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> is there a particular message that you'd like NFU members to take away from conference? If you can kind of sum it up in a, a few sentences. I think what I said in, in the, the last sort of paragraph, really, of, of my speech, you know, this is about risk. You know, those trade deals are going to be concluded with the big agricultural exporters across the world. It is about opportunity. It is about embracing change because change is the one certainty in all of this. Things are going to be different. So I think it's about preparing for what that future is going to look like and collaborating. You know, I think, you know, the buying together, selling together, we, we've got to collaborate much more than we ever had so that we build strength back into the market. Can you tell us a little bit about the levelling up rural Britain proposal that you released this week? We really wanted to, to showcase a, a very positive um, report based on opportunities. You know, 70% of the country is, is farmed and agriculture underpins the entire rural economy. And that is often misunderstood. Uh, in Westminster. So this is very much about showcasing what is on offer, um, you know, exports, jobs, green growth, um, health and well-being for a nation in recovery. But, you know, we are desperately in need of better connectivity. We've got issues with fly tipping, rural crime. Um, You know, people listening in will be so aware of those challenges. So it's about a collaborative approach that's just saying, look, this isn't about North versus South. This is about levelling up everywhere in every community for everyone. And so far, my engagement with MPs, you know, it's it's going down really well. I really wanted to equip them with something that allows them engagement with every department. Um, Because I think, you know, we're such a, a huge proportion uh, of the country with such a large land mass and, and the economy totally reliant on a thriving, profitable agricultural sector. Well, coincidentally, I'm going to be talking with Stuart Roberts next week on the programme in some detail about the uh, about the report, and we're going to be talking next about rural crime, um, which definitely doesn't seem to want to go away. Minette Batters, NFU President, many thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Thanks so much. Fly tipping, hair coursing, equipment thefts, all topics that we've discussed on the programme before, but all seem to continue unabated. Last week saw the release of the latest fly tipping statistics, which remain stubbornly very high and very expensive to the countryside victims of this antisocial crime. What can be done? Well, the NFU and CLA are jointly calling for action, but also better collaboration between the various agencies trying to deal with rural crime. 
We'll speak to Rhonda Thompson, NFU Country Advisor, in a moment. First, Nick Sanford, Acting CLA Regional Director. The fly-tipping figures are quite alarming, aren't they? They are. Fly-tipping is an ongoing and it has been a major problem for the rural community and businesses and landowners and farmers for so many years. There are several reasons for this. One is that it's a crime where the victim actually ends up paying. I mean, the figures quoted are for public land, but actually in addition to that, there are many thousands of incidents of rubbish being fly-tipped onto private land, which aren't covered by these figures. And uh, in those cases, the cost of clearing up is uh, down to the farmer or the landowner. I think it's the only crime where actually the victim has to cover all the costs of of the damage caused by the crime. So that is one reason why it's uh, a terrible situation. Secondly, there are generally three organisations involved with uh, following up or trying to prosecute fly tippers, local authorities, the police and the environment agency, none of which have a clear um, brief, none of have clear powers and none have the resources or are prepared to have the resources to tackle these, and it tends to get passed from pillar to post. Would you like to see a more collaborative approach? Very much so. I mean, and collaboration does work. In Essex, actually, they did a trial where I think for a week the EA, the local authority, and the police all got together and they had a, they did started doing spot checks on vehicles. The police were able to stop the vehicles using their power, and then the EA and the local authority were able to do the necessary searches and checks. And it, it was quite effective. Clearly, fly tipping is a very significant part of rural crime, but we also have things like hair coursing and machinery theft and so on. Now, the CLA and the NFU have got together to propose a dedicated rural crime action team in Lincolnshire. Rhonda Thompson, what are you looking for from this proposal? So we've pulled together, we've contacted uh, the new chief constable at Lynx Police um, and we've asked for the dedicated team because whilst Lincolnshire Police Force do what they can, it's a massive county and they've made some really good inroads into uh, areas such as hair coursing and we also get positive feedback from members saying that police are turning up more to incidents and they're chasing suspected offenders and they're not giving up and they're, they're making arrests where possible but we haven't got enough resource on the ground. So what we really want to see, because of the size of the county, and to give the rural areas more police coverage, is to have this dedicated team. Apart from having more resource, will they do anything differently to the current police service? Well, they will be obviously strengthening the numbers, which is really what's needed, because whilst we appreciate that the majority of the resource has to go into policing Lincoln and the county towns, it's the further outreaching places within the county in the rural areas that are suffering. So it is a team that will be specifically looking to police the rural areas of the county and to stop it being such a soft target for criminals. Rhonda, I'm guessing that there will be a lot of support for this. What practically can we do to support the proposal? Uh, Let me see. Next Wednesday, the new Chief Constable is going to be speaking to Lincolnshire NFU members about his vision for policing the county. But also we're hoping he might have some news about whether or not our application has been successful. So that's an opportunity for NFU members to feedback directly to the Chief Constable. The NFU East Midlands has an online email address and that can be found on the internet, nfueastmidlands.org.uk. So somebody can go on there and if they've got a concern and they want to let us know, we'd welcome that. 
equally I'm on Twitter at Rhonda T40. They can always message me on there if they wanted us to look into something. We'd be very grateful for any support we can get with this because we think it's very much needed in the county. Rhonda Thompson, NFU County Advisor, and Nick Sanford, Acting CLA Regional Director, thank you. We'll update you on that proposal as soon as we can. To the markets now, here's Openfield's Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. It's been an interesting week this week. Matif wheat futures climbed to seven and a half year highs as the EU attempts to price itself out of the export market. Russian exports are also expected to decline sharply after the initial surge to beat the export tax, which will shift the burden to other major exporters as we enter the business end of the season. It has been a while since we saw Egypt, Pakistan, Turkey, Algeria and Saudi Arabia tender for any significant volume, so either they are hoping to stretch their stocks out until new crop, where they will benefit from the market inverse, or they will return for old crop to find there are fewer origins to choose from. Unfortunately, we are no closer to knowing how long the floating Russian export tax will be in force, which is making new crop offers hard to come by. The announcement of the introduction of E10 fuel by the UK Department of Transport was welcomed by both Ensis and Vivergo Fuels and could increase UK wheat demand for 2021-2022, assuming it is competitively priced. News that Sadalcol, the Yorkshire-based distilling and liquid sweetener plant, was doubling its production with an investment of £80 million should also boost the usage, although this is unlikely to be until 2022. We are now back on the weather watch, particularly for Brazil and Argentina, with too much rain in the former and not enough in the latter, although production prospects are still optimistic with higher prices fueling ideas for increased areas. There is a growing feeling of euphoria as we are hopefully emerging from the pandemic and the potential positive impact it will have on some of the major banks, talking of a commodity supercycle kicking in. Maybe China were ahead of the game after all. So looking at malting barley this week, drier weather has helped some parts of the country crack on with field work, with one or two even venturing to consider some spring crop groundwork. Seed inquiries have been trickling through and a few growers looking at alternatives to some poor-looking winter sowings. European planting progress in parts of France is up to 75% complete. The announcement of the roadmap to lockdown easing has been met with relief. However, for now, there is little change to the perceived demand for the brewers or molsters for the remainder of this season's campaign. We know there will be good stocks to work through before the barley top-ups are required. This is old crop markets and we are looking to try to find buyers with the odd replacement needed for barley with quality issues. New crop has been discussed in the background without any real trade taking place for now. Oilseed rope, the UK markets have reacted positively to the deluge of stories around this week and that has seen the market nominally gained by £22 in this period. There have been a number of drivers this week. They are the South American weather affecting old crop yield and quality and causing delays for some of the new crop plantings. US soybean acres have seen as not making the forecast for the intended area and therefore ending stocks will be down for 2021. Firm veg oil markets supported by Chinese buying of physical rapeseed and oils and a renewed support for biofuel mandates globally. UK crushes have been reluctant followers of the market with concerns that a correction is due given the recent moves higher. For now, all eyes will be watching for the further developments in Brazil, along with the Argentine crop production report for clues to the latest analyst estimate, along with the USDA report which is due on the 9th of March, and what additional amendments are made to the stock and indeed export numbers. Prices this week, feed wheat for February is 204 to 206, March 206 to 208, 
May 209 to 211. And looking forward to November new crop 169 to 171. Milling wheat premiums are in short supply, so speak to your open field farm business manager for up-to-date prices. Feed barley at 154 to 156 for February, moving higher to March at 160 to 162, May 162 to 164. November new crop 149 to 151. Malting barley premiums are currently £12 for a 185 nitrogen. And oilseed rate prices this week moving much higher to 404 to 406 for February, March 408 to 410. May 415 to 417 and new crop oilseed rate for November 358 to 360. Thank you Kit. The Farming Programme. Five day forecast. Plenty of high pressure days this week. Not a lot of rain, not a lot of wind either. Dry today in Lincolnshire, calm with highs of 10 Celsius and down to around 3 Celsius overnight. A light easterly tomorrow, staying in single figures. A little rain possible through the morning, but generally a dry day tomorrow with highs of 8 or 9 Celsius, but cold overnight, lows down to 1 or 2 degrees. Quite calm on Tuesday, mostly dry with some sunshine, highs up to 11 Celsius and milder overnight. Much the same for Wednesday and Thursday, although we may see some light rain both days. On Friday, it looks like the wind will pick up and being from the northeast, temperatures drop to highs of 6 Celsius, but mostly dry to end the week. Well, that's your lot for this week. We'll be taking a good look at the NFU's levelling up rural Britain proposal next week. Until then, I'm Steve Orchard. Have a good, positive, productive week.